Welcome to Key Exchanges in the 901 Podcast. It's the podcast where we share the real stories of the real estate community here in Memphis. These are the stories that help every key change hands, the stories that are shaping the real estate market in our city. I'm Dane Williams, your key connection for home insurance, and I'll be your host today. And we're recording today's show from our studios that are powered by the Jason Woods Home Loan Team and Sophie Salen Reigns, both of them amazing loan officers with Community Mortgage. On today's show, we're going to have a ton of fun. Uh, There are times when I am intentionally looking for someone who's got interests that are different from mine, experiences that are unlike things that I've been able to experience. And today's show's got a little bit of both. Uh, These are things that I'm I'm familiar and unfamiliar with, and I'm excited to get into it. But before I introduce our first guest, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of our featured partners today. Mid-South Title is a full-service title and real estate settlement provider that operates in Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, and across the Mid-South region. Their experienced staff is led by multiple in-office attorneys, and their roster of experienced and dedicated closing officers and coordinators provide a premium experience from start to finish. If your clients are buying, selling, or refinancing, Mid-South Title can help. If your clients are building, developing, or borrowing, Mid-South Title can help. Whether it's a residential home, investment property, commercial building, or vacant land, their staff has you covered. Any property anywhere in Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, Mid-South Title can help. You bring the property, they bring the protection. Work with a leader. Work with Mid-South Title. And did you know Mid-South Title has a dedicated text line? If you send a text to Mid-South Title at 901-459-3005 and say, send me to, Mid-South Title will send you two discounts closing certificates each worth $200 reduction in title closing fees when you submit your next contract or title order. Trust me, your clients will love this. And through this program, Mid-South Title, they have discounted client fees over $284,000. Text SEND ME TO to 901-459-3005 now. Include your name, your brokerage, and your email address, and you'll be on your way. Always work with a leader. Always work with Mid-South Title. My first guest. Well, my first guest is one of those guys that you've likely seen, but not yet probably had the opportunity to interact with just yet. Anytime I get to see content that he puts out, I am always blown away with the professionalism and the finish that's been uh, applied to the finished product. He pushes hard to make sure that he is there for his clients to make sure that he represents his brand in the best way possible. He is a fiance to Tisha, the dad to Lauren, an East High graduate, and a proud University of Memphis Tiger. He's also an associate broker for the Cry Like Bartlett office. Without any further ado, it is my profound honor and great privilege to welcome Mr. Preston Williams on the Key Exchanges in the 901. Preston, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my man. I'm amazed to be here. It's, it's amazing. Awesome, it's an man. honor. Hey, I, I'm excited to have you here, but I know you've listened to the show a handful of times, and you know we start off the same way every single time. we got to hop in the Wayback Machine, man, and figure out how the heck did you get into real estate. So tell me, man, how'd you get into real estate? So it's a bit weird because um, like as a kid, I always had the idea that I would be either a stockbroker or a real estate agent, which is extremely weird. Like as a, a little kid, like as, yeah, yeah. Th- those aren't like f- super fun sounding jobs to a child. At all, at all. But but when you watch like movies or TV or anything, they're always the people who look busy okay. and, and they always were the people who look like they enjoyed what they did. Um had a little bit of anger issues at times, <laughs> but but they always were the people who was at work and working, and they looked like they just loved their lifestyle and everything. And that was always in my mind that I would be a real estate agent. So um, I actually held that plan all the way up until college, and I was actually in college right in 2008 where everything kind of just blew up yeah. in the crisis. And um, I kind of like changed my focus and was like, well, maybe it's not a good idea to be a stockbroker or a real, <laughs> or uh, like in real estate right now. So so um, I changed my focus. Um, uh, like I went into marketing for a while. Okay. And probably 2006, a teen maybe, I told my mom uh uh, like I would uh, get my real estate license and be a realtor. So um, about a year passed by and I didn't didn't do any classes or anything and just kind of postponed it. And I looked up and she called me and was like, hey, I got my license. And I'm like, what? Wait, yeah. in what? She was like, oh, yeah, I'm a real estate agent. I'm, like, about that. I'm like, hold on, you stole my idea. <laughs> you stole my idea. And, and that kind of just like lit a fire in me. I'm like, okay, well, I can't let her do it when it's my idea. I got to go do it. And um, I got mine probably about a year later. Yeah. And off and running ever since. What were you doing in between there? Right? Before you got into real estate, but after college? So um, in between there, um, I spent a little bit of a, a time being a restaurant manager. 
on Bill Street. And um it's a good and time. I also had a Yeah, it was a good time, but it's a young person's job. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a young person's job. Yeah. And um and and I had a marketing a business that that started off as a bit of a hobby with just like people asking me to do stuff and then like it just kind of grew, 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 and grew. And um had to wear like that was a full time job for for a good amount of time. Yeah. Well, so let's talk through kind of growing up. You, you mentioned your mom. She's obviously important to you uh, with the way that you're describing that. I know uh, you got some athletic experience as well. What was life like growing up for you here in the city? So it was uh, extremely busy, extremely busy. I played every sport and did every activity. There was a group I could join, uh, like organization I can join, um, a sport I could play. I was in it. So mm-hmm. I was always on the go. Um, what did you play? So um, I played, uh, of course, the main sports like basketball and football. Um, I also ran track. I played baseball for a while and soccer you're for a while. You're a big guy to run track, I feel like. I mean, I don't know a lot about track athletes, yeah. but you, you're like a broad dude. Is that something that came later in life? No. Well, yes and no. So when I was at uh, Memphis uh, running track, I was probably around like 205 or 208, but I'm six or two, so it kind of, I guess it, it – it, um, Works out good, but yeah. but um I've always been been kind of a stocky guy, I would say, and um and I ran hurdles, mm. um and uh, like it just kind of helped me out because if you hit a hurdle in my size, it the hurdles like it just kind of hurdle goes down <laughs> and you'll keep on rolling. And I look back and I'm like, oh gosh, I knocked down like three of them, didn't even know I hit one. Yeah, but it played out to my benefit. That's fine. Now, anybody is is audio uh, medium here, so you guys may not see the video of this. Preston and I have a very similar build, just in case you guys are wondering. Very similar. So uh, we do, we do. We both have broad shoulders. Well, that's that's <laughs> the extent of our builds being similar. Uh, I, I want to hear about this marketing business, man. You uh, you ran it for years. Um, what was it that said, "Hey, I, I want to start this," and then you said it grew to where like this is a full time job for me. Just kind of started running and. At some point, you, you shifted back to real estate. Yeah. When I was at Memphis, I would make hype posters for, uh, for uh, like, a few of us on the track team and everything. And then um, to, I actually— To promote, like, a, a meet that's coming up or this is for, like, a party that's happening, something totally unrelated? It was mainly just for us because, um, like, the, the big sports, like— like a basketball and a football, they have billboards and posters mm-hmm. and magazines and everything. And then like the smaller, um, the smaller sports, you know, like we don't really have those same like, like hype posters and, and things to kind of say like, Hey, this is me. I'm an athlete, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm like, I was like, well, I can do that. I'll make my own, you know? And, um, I, I did that for a while. And then I got asked if I would make party flyers and then a graduation invitations and um and at first I was like no 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 and then then like like I was offered hey you know I'll pay one hundred twenty five dollars for this and at the time I had a a job at the rec center I made five or fifteen an hour yeah I'm like that's like a whole week's work you know yeah. so so um so um I went into that field and then just as uh, like Instagram got around and started to blow up um like I would would put work on there and then and then like businesses would would hey hey like I need a video I need a flyer I need this I need that and and like it started off as just a hobby a thing on the side to do and I looked up and I was like gosh I'm making more doing this than my full-time job in half the time and um I made the switch but it wasn't ever uh, the plan to be a business it was more of a hobby that that just kind of like evolved into it mm-hmm. and um i end up uh, uh kind of uh, making a switch because i knew that it wasn't a thing i wanted to, to do for a time because like it wasn't ever a plan it was a hobby yeah and um and it was kind of my like only hobby other than sports. And I was like, well, gosh, in my free time, I'm working. And when I actually have my free time, I don't know what to do because my work is my, my hobby. So well, and being a college athlete, you were just, your schedule was filled nonstop with practices and running and exercise and all the things. And now you're an adult at this point and no one's telling you to wake up at dawn to lift the heavy weight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and that was a, a big change, a big change. Yeah. But so I, I think your business is um, is unique because you've been licensed. I guess you just started your five not long ago, I think, right? Are you yeah, in your five? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you really kind of hit your stride when you were two and a half years in. It's something where yeah. you started out of the gate kind of slower, mm-hmm. but things have been going really well for you lately. And it's been encouraging. It was kind of right at the start of the pandemic when it started taking off. What was it that 
threw gas on your business and really allowed you to kind of hit the stride to where you're, you're really blowing and going now, man. Yeah, there was a, um, a couple of things I would say that, that kind of helped with that. Um, one was the main thing was I realized that you have to generate your own leads and that, that it's not just, hey, I'm a, real, a realtor and people are knocking on your door like, sure. hey, you know, no, I want to uh, buy a house with you or sell a house with you. And, um, and then once, once I realized that I kind of uh, planned to, to like, okay, how can I let people know in a way that is cost effective? Uh, all because at the time I wasn't making a good amount of money. I wasn't getting a lot of sales or anything like that. So, so I was like, it needs to be, be cost effective uh, because I tried a Zillow leads for a while and realtor.com leads for a while. And the return just wasn't there mm-hmm. and there how it should be. I, a lot of times I broke even and I was um, spending a good amount of money on it. So, and time. Yeah, yeah, and time, and time. You're, you're calling a lot of those leads and a lot of them are just, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not realistic mm-hmm. uh, leads and everything. And you're following up, you're following up and everything. So um, I started to think like, how can I, oh, gosh, I need a way to, to be able to pull in clients or, or let people know that I'm a, a realtor. And um, I racked my brain for a long time on it. And then it finally hit me. I'm like, gosh, I can just like do my own marketing, <laughs> just just handle my own uh, like marketing a campaign and everything like that. So um, that's so interesting that that's something yeah. that you were already doing in mm-hmm. for your job and yeah. other capacities. And you just hadn't applied those skills in your own life. Cause you're just doing what you think realtors yeah. do. This is the thing oh, I'm supposed to get Zillow leads or I'm supposed to do whatever. But instead yeah. you're like, let me lean into some of the gifts that I have and see if we can make that work. Yeah. Cause it never occurred to me that I can be on the other side of the camera, you know, mm. it, it never hit me like, okay, maybe I can just point the camera in myself yeah. and do the things that um that uh, like I like advise my clients to do you know and um and so I started doing that around the end of um uh, of uh of 2019 mm-hmm. and the first kind of a campaign I call it that I had was just being uh, like very like informative of how to to buy a house and the process of buying a house and um and when I launched it it was around January or February of 2020, which okay. happened to go right in a COVID, a pandemic and everything. So, so at first I was kind of like, gosh, well, now I know it's going down. You know, I know I'm not going to make any money in real estate. And um, like I may need to uh, like I may need to like move around or shift around my, my business plan and everything. Yeah. But um, it just happened that that during COVID, a lot of people was at home for a longer time than they expected. And they realized like, hey, like I do want to move, but I don't know how to buy a house. And um and the videos I had and the web page and everything, it's just like a lot of info on how to buy a house, how to have a loan, the kinds of loans and everything like that. And people really, really appreciated it and loved it. Mm-hmm. And um and um like I had a lot of clients, like even of people who was out of town who would like message me on Instagram and things like, hey man, I went on your web page, I went through all your steps, I went through this, and uh, like I bought a house today, you know, and I'm like what you yeah, know, like that's funny. How did you even like find me or anything? And um, like it just helped a lot of people be able to have the confidence how to buy a house and everything. That's so great, man. When you um, started doing marketing for yourself, I know you mm-hmm. said it was abnormal for you to be on the other side of the camera. Uh, yeah. You feel like you had it dialed in right off the bat, or is it something that you kind of had to work your way through and kind of <laughs> fall on your face a little bit a couple times? No, I probably have about. 20 to 30 videos on my computer that nobody will ever see, <laughs> will ever see. Um, we all, we all and, have those. And I posted a, a, a couple and they just, just when I watched them, they didn't get the feedback or reaction or like the, uh, the basic engagement, you know, mm-hmm. like I wasn't looking for like a thousand likes or a thousand, uh, like a comments or to make a, a sale off of every video or anything like that. But it's just, it's just like from looking at the outside in, mm-hmm. I'm like, it just kind of fell flat. And I, and uh, just kind of looking at it, I'm like, I would never allow one of my clients to put this video out, or this isn't one I would make for a client of mine. And um, it took a while, like it took a while to, to, to just kind of self-evaluate of what, what uh, like my strengths are and my weaknesses are and what comes off a good, 
good as me on camera and everything like mm-hmm. that. But um, it took a, a good amount of time to kind of learn that a lot of practice. Yeah, that's that's good, man. Your uh, your background in marketing, your rising status in the real estate industry. I feel like you're uniquely suited to speak to this. Um, I know things can change in a matter of weeks, but are there are there trends? Are there best practices that you've seen in, in trying to get the maximum amount of impact with uh, with some of your social media marketing for real estate business? Um, I think it depends on the person. Okay. Um, it really, really depends on the person. I've seen like agents to where they do a lot of the uh, the trending videos and things like that, to where they're dancing or or doing the voiceovers and things like that, and um, and that's the thing that. I tried in private, and nobody will ever see. But it just <laughs> it comes off extremely weird, extremely, extremely like awkward because that's not my personality at all. Yeah. And um, and when that is, it comes off great, and people love it. And and but when it's not, it's just like, what are you doing? You know. Yeah. So um, I shift away from it, and um, I basically do more of like informative videos and things like that that more fit fit what um a client would actually have in person from me mm-hmm. and um and uh, like it fits my style a style of, of just who I am and my personality because because like in person I'm not dancing I'm not doing anything like that um but but um I'm very informative I'm going to going to like drill everything about everything into my client's head they're going to sure. almost be a real tough but by the time they're done. But video seems to be something that you feel like video is, is a great use of, of oh, your yes. time anyways, as opposed to something else that you may be doing. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. I do think that that uh, that a video content is king right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very engaging. And, um, and just in the world we're in, as far as if you're marketing online, it's a lot easier to to uh, like intake what's going on because if if it's uh, like on on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or anything and it's it's a picture with words on it a lot of times people aren't going to read everything they're mm-hmm. going to read whatever the big headline the bold letters are in title and then like everything under that they're not reading and but if you have a a video and the first like uh four or five words of that video catches a person then they're going to watch the whole video um, and like the goal is not to catch everybody. You don't need a thousand likes on a post in order to uh, to uh, like a translate it in uh, like into a sale or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the goal is is uh, the people who will buy a house or or, or like want to buy a house. Um, that's who who your audience is, and it can end up with eight likes and four comments. But if uh, the comments are people who are like, "Hey, oh yeah, I needed this. I needed this. I needed this," then those are people who can be be leads in the future and everything. Oh, if you got to sell yeah. a house just to one person off of the videos and then like you're it's, killing, that's yeah, the best yeah. use of your time. You yeah. should just make videos all it the time. So. It definitely is. It definitely is. Uh, I want to talk about the, uh, I guess, when we talk through the discipline that you had to put in to be an athlete for all your life growing up mm-hmm. and just the the hard, the workouts, the schedule, the time, mm-hmm. like there's just not much time for some of the fun things in life to be able to uh, operate at the highest level like you were doing there. Um, whether it was track and field at University of Memphis or East High when you were playing all sorts of stuff. Any of those habits that you formed there, do you see how there's been kind of a direct correlation to your real estate practice to where you've got that discipline played out? I definitely do because I'm very used to always being on the go. Um, always being okay. I got 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 weights here, a class, class, class. I got practice, uh, then, then like a tutoring session, and then 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 like study hall or something like that. And always being on the go, and it plays into being a realtor very well because you're always on the go. Mm-hmm. You got a, a closing, a showing, a meeting, a listing appointment. Um, like your calls, a class, like- yeah, calls. You you're always on the go, and it kind of helped me be able to, to know how to to uh, like I subdivide my time and everything, and where to move it. Um, and it just uh, it played in the work ethic very well of knowing like okay, I need I have to keep on moving in order to get where I'm trying to go because once I stop and sit still, then then like it's not anything being done and. and and I'm not making those those uh, those like steps to get get at my end goal of yeah. growing my business. No, man, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, you know, you and I were able to have a great conversation before we started recording about mm-hmm. an insurance topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, you were telling me a story about how you were able to experience a home insurance claim that had coverage extend beyond the four walls of your house. Yeah. Tell me 
what it was that you experienced in that regard? Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, this was probably in 2015 or so, um, I actually had my car broken into. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got a good amount of, 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 of like valuables out of there and everything. And so um, I called my car insurance and, and um, I'm like, hey, you know, my car got broken into. Yeah, that is. It's a window gone. Fine. But I had had this, this and this in my car. Um, is that covered? You know, and they kind of like, uh, no, no, mm-hmm. no. And so I kind of was, I was a little pissed, you know. And um, like I made a post on uh, on uh, like Facebook and it wasn't a negative <laughs> Like bashing posts or anything, I just was like, gosh, man, I wish, uh, wish items in your car was covered under car insurance. And um, and uh, and at the time, my friend who was my uh, like insurance agent, he was on there. He was like, hey, man, I have your house insurance, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so, you know. He was like, call me, you know. So I called him. He was like, hey, that's a covered under your house insurance. I'm like, it was in my car. He was like, but that's a covered under your house insurance. It was in your driveway. I'm like, yeah. He was like, it's covered. And um, and that just kind of like I was like, okay, well, what else is actually you know yeah. covered under that and everything? Well, and, and it's something that I feel like people really just don't know the answer to that. Uh, whenever mm-hmm. we're looking at uh, home insurance, it's your personal property that's a part of that home, right? So if you take yeah. it in a car, you take it somewhere else, like it's it's going to be covered in that regard. But you also have things like liability that's not necessarily just mm-hmm. the structure of your home, but if the Amazon driver trips up your steps and you know, yeah. Yeah. Now he's going to sue you because he's blown out his knee and you've ruined his football career, you neglectful homeowner, <laughs> uh, whatever the things may be, right? Like you just, you never know what's going to happen there. Yeah. And, and having the liability that comes with the homeowner's insurance policy, provided they're built well and you've got a good agent, mm-hmm. um, then those those can mean all the all the difference in the world for sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to change gears here a bit though. Talk more about you as a person. Uh, okay. okay. Do, you, uh, do you ever have any interesting past jobs or side hustles along the way? Um, only two. Um, one would be the marketing and videography business sure. and the other would be very interesting. I was, uh, the manager at, uh, Wet Willie's on Bill Street for okay. a while. Um, that was a fun and stressful time. Stressful time. Uh, um, there's four of us in the, uh, in the room recording now and I heard audible laughter from others. When, <laughs> well, just when you say, Hey, I, I worked at Wet Willie's back like that's, yeah. someone's got a stupid story about that always. So yes, that's yes, a good time. Yes. Uh, when you're not selling real estate, uh, any interesting hobbies or skills? Um, well, my hobby is actually uh, getting back in uh, filmmaking right now um, because I shifted from that actually being a a job. Uh, now um, it's just more of a. I still do it every now and again, but but it's more kind of on the back burner. Sure. And um, and now it's it's just more of a a fun thing again to go out and just kind of. Uh, of uh, like make films and everything. Like yeah, that. that's a good time. Uh, what movie have you seen more than any other? Probably The Temptations and not by choice. Okay. It was by force. Um, I wouldn't so, have picked that for you, by the way. That wasn't going to be my guess. It, it it wasn't one that I would have picked myself. <laughs> but but um, so I ran track in the summer times and we had track meets in like California, New York, Florida, you know. And um, we was um, a small track team and we bust everywhere, which would be it'd be like 12 hour bus rides, 15 hour bus rides, eight hour bus rides. <laughs> and for whatever reason. Reason my track coach loved to put on <laughs> Temptations on repeat, and we would watch it like eight straight times. That's and this funny. was over the whole summer for uh, eleven or twelve years. So I probably Jeez. have seen that a hundred times or more. That's so uh, by force. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, fast food guilty pleasure. Fast food guilty pleasure. Gosh, um, I would probably go with hot wings. Okay. Hot wings. Where's your hot, hot wing spot at then? Where do you want to go? So um, there are two. A Kelvin's on Dexter. Okay. Um, it's really good. They, they're they growing too. They haven't been open long, but they're really good. And then the other one is, is of course, I went to U of M, so Chinks. Chinks. And yeah. um, they take a lot of my money. A lot of my money. <laughs> They, they earn it, okay? They don't take it. They earn it, okay? Yeah. It's good. Oh, they earn it, all right, because <laughs> I'm there enough, enough, I probably have bought a few houses in hot wings. There you go. There you go. Uh, most awkward thing that happens to you on a regular basis? Um, so this is extremely weird, but I get mistaken for another person all the time. Someone specific that they think you are or just anybody? I do not know who the guy is, but he has a twin. 
Oh. And <laughs> like there's somebody like a real person around yes. town, not like a celebrity or something. It's yeah, just Yeah, there's a person, he's a real person, he has a twin, and when I meet people and they think I'm the other twin. That's so so, so funny. they think I'm one and I don't realize it for like half the conversation. Then I'm like, wait, I've never been there before. You know, they're like Twin, aren't you? I'm like, no, oh, no, I'm not a twin. I'm not That's a twin. That's you know? funny. And um, that happens all the time. That's super funny. Uh, favorite Memphis date night restaurant? Um, I would say right now probably the Moon Dance. Okay. It's on Germantown Parkway. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's really nice. I love their old fashions. Smoked old fashioned. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a show. It feels... Uh, it's not uncommon for me. I'll be at the bar hanging out or whatever yeah. it may be up there. Sometimes it feels a little too extra for me. I'm like, okay, I can't get involved with the <laughs> yeah, box and the yeah. smoke. It just feels like too much of a show for me, but uh, it's a good time. TV guilty pleasure. Uh, TV guilty pleasure. I would probably say I don't watch a lot of TV, but um, probably one show that I watch and I'm kind of like, gosh, I shouldn't. I'm like, why am I watching this? It's, um, I watched the first season of Bridgerton. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temptations and Bridgerton, by the way. You just walked in, got this like <laughs> big jacked athletic dude here that's out slinging all the houses. And, yeah. and you got Bridgerton you're bringing up to me? Yeah, man? and it was so, so I clicked on it one day and um, started watching it. Didn't plan on watching it, but then just from from like the filmmaker background, I was just like, this is shot beautifully, you know? Yeah. And I just end up like watching all of it. There you go. That's I I would have lost all of my money if you asked me to bet on that. I don't think I ever would have gotten that in a hundred guesses. I don't think I would have guessed that on myself. That's funny. Uh, Favorite Memphis event to attend? Uh, Definitely the Tiger Games. Okay. Um, Football, basketball. It's hitting in the football season, so so I'm going with that one now. Um, Sure. I I typically go to all the home football games. Um, I have season tickets. Basketball, I make it. It, as many as I can, sure. as many as I can. It's Just a lot so of many, those games. So many games. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if there's a game I'm available for, I'm at it. I'm at it. But Preston, last question. If people want to get in touch with you to discuss buying or selling property, how can they do that? Um, the best way would be um, likely either my website, key2memphis.com, okay. or my cell phone number, uh, 901-239-1914, or, of course, Instagram or Facebook or anything like that, uh, Preston.realtor on all social media. There you go. We'll make sure we've got all of his contact information in the show notes for this episode as well. Preston, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, yes. I appreciate being here. It's an honor. Hey, guys, we're not done just yet. Up next, we've got even more key exchanges that help uh, all of the keys change hands in our city. You're listening to Key Exchanges in the 901. I'm Sophie Sandlin Rains with Community Mortgage. I know the stress a buyer can feel as they're going through the home loan process. I take so much pride in treating my clients exactly like I would want to be treated if I were purchasing a home. My team and I know the importance of having quick turnaround times on pre-approvals and having personal relationships with our in-house underwriters to get loans closed quickly. We know that in this market, you're doing everything you can to get a house under contract. And when you finally achieve that goal, the last thing you want to worry about is if your lender is going to be able to deliver on their promises. I was blessed to be able to grow up here at Community since our company was founded by my family nearly three decades ago. In my six years as a loan officer, I've moved up from being a rookie LO to one of the top producers in our entire company. I don't say that pridefully either because I truly believe that all of my success can be attributed to my amazing referral partners and the awesome clients I've had over the years that continue to refer me. If you'd like to be on your way to a stress-free lending process with your next purchase, you can call or text me directly at 901-275-4248 or email me at sophie at communitymtg.com or check out my social media on Instagram at Lending in Memphis. Community Mortgage is an equal opportunity lender licensed in Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. NMLS 147-3319 and 77047. And I am proud to be a featured partner with Key Exchanges in the 901. And we are back, back in our studio where we are powered by the Jason Woods Home Loan Team and Sophie Sandlin-Rains, both of them phenomenal loan officers with Community Mortgage. 
in our next segment together, we get to dive into a topic that's, I mean, it's kind of sexy and to, to the real estate nerds out there because it's one of those topics the industry as a whole just really stands to, to learn a whole lot more about uh, to make sure that we're serving our clients well. Today, we're going to be talking about old houses, right? I'm talking like those hundred-year-old houses that have seen some stuff, right? The ones that are rock solid. They aren't going anywhere, even though there's not a single straight board in that house that was used to build the entire thing. The ones where repairs are challenging because no one can identify the materials used to originally build it. And they have some of the most charming character that you'll find anywhere in the city. With that, as our stated goal today, it was obvious who my guest had to be. I'd like to welcome back on the Key Exchanges, Lauren Harkins-Whiff from Ware Jones Realtors and Catherine Garland from Garland and Company Real Estate. Thank you both for coming back on the show. Glad to be here. So, uh, guys, we are uh, are jumping right in, and uh, I want to. Well, first, I want to tell everybody that if you'd like more information about either of these two ladies, you can go back and listen to their first time on the show. For Lauren, that was episode twenty-two, uh, and we released it on a snow day, and everyone was out sledding. And I'm like, "Oh, you guys, this was a great one. Eric Furman was on this one. With, with, it was great, and the whole nine, right? So you were there too, and I enjoyed your part too. Uh, <laughs> but episode twenty-two, and Catherine, you were all the way back on episode thirty-three. So you guys can find more about both of their stories there. Uh, but Lauren, I, I want to start. Um, you guys have a unique relationship just because you're such close friends and you've got some overlap and things. You're both uh, legacy realtors following in family footsteps, uh, formerly served as president of Mar for both of you guys, incredibly successful agents that are coincidentally lovers of old houses, right? Uh, in your opinion, what is it that draws a buyer to be interested in some of these historic homes we're talking about here today? Jane, thanks for having us. <laughs> we sure. Sure. We're sure. so we're both so excited to be here. I'm Catherine and I were talking on the phone earlier today, joking around about who's going to get more airtime today. But not me. Um, not me is what I can say. Uh, it's guaranteed. That's true. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of the draw to older houses is the charm, the character, the craftsmanship. I mean, they would absolutely mill work all this wood on site while they were making these homes. One of my favorite finds is when one of my clients is about to redo a hundred year old home and they go up in the attic and they find all the extra materials that were used for the home that they can then take and put back in if they're going to do a little remodeling or a little renovation. And it's, it's just really neat. So I think that's the big draw is just the charm. Yeah. Catherine, is that something you've seen as well to where they just, it, it really is the character that's drawing them in? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, Lauren lives in Midtown, owns, owns an older home. I just moved from an older home in Midtown with a lot of millwork. So it's definitely a lot, uh, the character and the charm of the houses. And even my house now is almost 100 years old. I still bought an old house. But um, I think that's the biggest thing and the areas that they're built in. It, it, there's a nostalgic feeling, I think, in a lot of these neighborhoods that um, that people like a lot. Catherine, immediately my mind goes to Midtown. It's kind of the epicenter yeah. of old houses in, in Memphis here. But obviously there are pockets in the city and other parts of you know, the region anyways, that have some similarly old houses. Where are those at? Um, off, off the top of my head, off, uh, old Collierville, old, um, Bartlett, mm -hmm. Germantown, uh, all have a hundred year old houses, um, that are similar in style too. Is it something where the issues you're going to run into in old Midtown houses pretty pervasive throughout other old houses in the area? So yeah, hundred year old, that's what they did. Yeah. Well, it's just how, I mean, how they're built and you know, they're built to last back then. So you would have joists and beams under the house that are huge, like trunks of wood. I mean, they don't make them like they used to anymore. They're built to last. And so, um, but so some of the things that are going on in a house are usually, underneath the house, which when it's built on a slab foundation, it's not the same kind of issues. And anything built past 1950-something is yeah. slab. Yeah. So, uh, Lauren, I know we have a truckload of agents listening to this episode, and most of them won't be as well-versed in this specific area as you guys are. But what are some things that if, if you are the buyer's agent, you need to be on the lookout for when you're going under contract on one of these older homes? I think it's setting expectations mm -hmm. for the buyers. I mean— We've talked about this before. It is honestly advanced home ownership to own a home this old. And you've got to come in with a little bit of know-how, a little bit of knowledge, understanding that YouTube is your friend. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Lowe's, Home Depot, contractors, but you need to know what you're getting into. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge for a buyer's agent is to make sure that they're 
their buyers know what they're getting into. I mean, you need to have inspectors that you trust that understand how old homes are built, who are going to do the work, get under the house. Yeah, I was going to say really, that. <laughs> that yeah. will actually crawl under the house. I mean, I had someone do an inspection on a house in Midtown recently, and they, their home inspector would not go into the house. Oh, I'm like, then why did you hire them for a Midtown house? Yeah, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's and it, Catherine mentioned it earlier, that, that really is going to be one of the big things is the problems under the house. But also to be able to set expectations, to let someone know that they're not really the owners of this house. <laughs> when you're a buyer of a 100-year-old house, that house becomes, you're the... The steward. Yeah, <laughs> you you are owned by that house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I... I I think that's probably the best, biggest obstacle for agents that usually do not sell older homes is that they don't understand how they need to prep their buyers for this situation. Yeah, well, you've, you said that line when you were first on the show, and I've probably quoted it four other times on the show since then, of when you're buying a 100-year-old house, it, it's not your house. You, yeah. You're just the caretaker of it for a while yeah. mm-hmm. until the, the next person comes through. And uh, it's something that I, I think making sure that your buyers understand that's got to be uh, an important part for any agent just to make sure that they're going to, you know, not just be really pissed at you for letting them buy this house later. So. Well, it's also like the, I love the idea of advanced home ownership. I mean, it is because it's so is like, I compare it to owning a pool because people think they want a pool. I have a pool, but it's like having a child, you know, you have to feed it. You have to bathe it and do all these things. It's yeah, a lot how, of money. How's that pool working out for you, Catherine? <laughs> I don't know. My husband deals with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's the same thing, I think, with an older house. I mean, it's it's irrational to think you're going to come into an older house and not have to do continued maintenance on it. And the houses that are older that have the biggest problems are people who have not done continued maintenance on their houses. Right. I mean, and then someone inherits that. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's something it's it's something to know. You know, is there? Um are there things that I guess when you're going through the process with your buyers where like this, this seems scary, like whatever it is that I'm seeing on this inspection report or whatever, I, I don't know that this worries me. I don't know if I need to get involved with this, but in reality, when you've dealt with this enough times, like, no, no, okay, this is a solvable problem and really shouldn't push you away. Right. Well, the first thing I always think of is termite damage and, and joist under the house because almost every house in Midtown has some sort of old termite tunneling and stuff like that. And so, um, and you know, you think about it, they didn't have, they didn't use chemicals for treating termites until the 30s. You know, when they built these houses in 1900, they would put like oil on the corners of the beams where that they met, but then not throughout and stuff. And, you know, and people just had no idea that the damage that termites can do. And so that and then any kind of like plumbing that's been leaking under the house. If you're not down there and you don't know that something's dripping, it's it's causing rotted wood damage on joists under the house. And so I've seen a lot of times people freak out over that. And it's really not something to freak out about. You don't really need to get a structural engineer out because of some rotted joists under the house. I mean, there's there's solutions for that. And so those are the things that I think the biggest things that come up. One thing though, and by the time my buyers are getting to an inspection, I mean, they've, they've been through the mill on knowledge. Mm -hmm. I'm making sure that I do not have a first time home buyer buying a house that doesn't have some kind of know-how on what they're doing there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if 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 I'm taking somebody who's never lifted a hammer, <laughs> I I'm never going to talk anybody out of a house, but I'm going to make sure to lay out exactly what they're getting into because you do you need to know how to do things by yourself mm-hmm. for an old house you or know have the right vendors to do it. Yeah, because you know there are certain vendors in town that know about radiators, you know, because old radiator heat in in a lot of older houses, and some don't specialize in that kind of thing. And there's certain um, uh, just people who know how to work on a house. That's all. Okay, flipping that. So Electrical too. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. you know, mm-hmm. knob and tube and any number of mm-hmm. other things that you may have in there. <laughs> Which I'm sure you love. Yeah, not so much actually. No. <laughs> uh, I work in insurance. I don't know if we mentioned that. <laughs> uh, the uh, flipping that question kind of on its head though. We said, you know, what are some things that maybe shouldn't scare you off? Are there some things where it's like, oh, crap, we get this. Like, we just don't want to get involved with this, guys. Well, Catherine mentioned termites, but like. When it's gotten into cell plates, mm. when there are structural engineer issues, um, back in the day, they would just let roofers put as many layers on roofs, mm-hmm. on houses, mm-hmm. um, as it would take. And the sad thing is, roofs are really, really heavy. Yeah. And so now it's gotten to the point where it's like, look, it's always got to be a teardown, or a te- teardown, yikes, tear off. Yeah. But um, 
you know, I think when I first started that you could do three layers on mm. a roof. Well, some of these houses in Midtown have had seven layers on. And you don't know what's going on with the deck, the, de- yeah. the decking underneath. It, oh, so. that's right. I mean, I've had to have two houses decapitated. And what that means is that honestly, the ridge cap going across the top of the house, it was so damaged from the amount of roofs that had been put on this house that it was bowing and it was actually pushing the house kind of outward. Mm. I, I don't, people online, I'm sorry, you are hearing this. I'm actually like a using hand, my hands. Hand signals, to show. kind of a hand jive thing but that's going on right Lauren, now. Lauren making <laughs> hand gestures, really. <laughs> yeah, no. So, you know, I think that that's. No, I'm, I yeah. agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, when, uh, when we're talking about uh, our sellers, right, um, Lauren, are, are there things that a listing agent needs to be prepared for when taking an older home to market? Because it, it's going to be different than just, oh, it's another you know, new construction house we've got going up here. What different things does a listing agent need to be aware of? I, honestly, um, I think you need to really encourage your sellers to get a pre-inspection. Mm-hmm with a trusted inspector that will, like we talked about earlier, get under the house, really check everything out. Um, If you can get in front of a problem before you actually list it, it's a lot better for all involved. Disclose it, but make sure that it's taken care of. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Well, I was thinking too with that is that um, I I know buyers would much rather know that uh, you're taking care, proactively taking care of something as opposed to just letting it fester. And it's like, if you let this go bad, then what else is going on? It's like a lot of times when you have in a house, um, there maybe was a leak or something uh, through the ceiling and you don't paint the ceiling. And it, so it makes people think it's this dry, there's no water there, mm-hmm. but why would you not paint the ceiling? It makes people think that something bigger is going on. You know, it's like, why not address these issues now. I think, I think we've also gotten into a little bit of a market where people have gotten, or we're getting out of it a little bit, but getting into it where they don't think that they have to do any repairs, you know? And so um, that's a misnomer. Well, and that's another thing. And what I was going to say was when I walk in and a seller does not have extensive repair folder (laughs) of where they're showing that they're maintaining the house, and actually staying on top of deferred maintenance, then that's a red flag for me as a listing agent. Mm. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I know I know everything about my house. Yeah. And I have boxes worth of invoices, estimates, um, everything we've ever used on the house. Mm. And that's always a red flag when I walk in and a seller's like, I don't know when we did what. I'm mm. like, oh, you, then you didn't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Is that same thing even not without the old home? Like if this is a house in Germantown that was built in 93, same thing? You, you just, I mean, it, it should probably be. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> a lot of houses in Germantown were built in the 80s. I mean, they're not young anymore. They're yeah, almost sure. 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, so. This was trapped. I used 93 and I'm like, I guess that's still like. No, that's still there. 30. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Catherine, are there ever any, um, I guess, lender issues that come up with an older home that maybe we wouldn't see if it were a newer home? Well, I was thinking about that when we were when Lauren was talking about deferred maintenance. Um, one of the things that, you know, I look for when I'm uh, dealing also with a listing agent, as a listing agent, is, is there any rotted wood peeling paint, stuff like that. And so the biggest thing on these older houses is that there's almost always some kind of rotted wood peeling paint is just, it's, that's again, if you're not taking care of that, that's deferred maintenance. And so as a lender, um, if you're doing anything, uh, FHA, VA loans, they require, lender-based uh, or appraisal lender required repairs are going to require um, you to repair and replace the rotted wood, paint to match, scrape and paint. Um, the peeling paint, especially for VA loan, they'll have you scrape and paint and then remove all the paint chips from the premises because of, you know, lead-based paint. So um, those are things that, you know, you have to do whether you like it or not, and the buyer cannot do them for you. Okay, that's, that's good to know for sure. Um, Lorna, I know the last few years have been chaotic at best uh, to describe the rate that, uh, the, the pace that inventory has come to market and then immediately sold, right? Uh, have You've seen anything unique as it relates to some of these historic homes uh, and the pace that they're moving on and off the market, or is it something where they've been moving just about as fast as everything else too? Yeah, they've been moving just as fast as everything else. I'm, um, 
Well, we have kind of centered in the older homes that we're talking about in Midtown, but as far as Bartlett, Oakland, mm. there are, or excuse me, not Oakland, it's uh, Bartlett, there's some in Arlington, there's some in Collierville. I mean, it seems like those houses are moving just as fast as any other house. And I mean, gosh, desirable neighborhoods, mm-hmm. I don't think it matters how old the house is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, repair requests have been kind of a challenge for the last few years because, uh, I mean, it's been a struggle to just get a house under contract, much less ask for something on top of that. Uh, we're starting to see some of that come back now mm-hmm. um, as we're, uh, you know, uh, having a slight shift in our market. Um, what are some of the unique challenges that can come with those repair requests that you're going to get on some of these older homes? Because practically speaking, you could have a list a mile long on every one of these houses that's just so old, but how do you manage that as the agent working either side of it? Catherine? Well, you know, I guess I was just thinking, I was like a lot of times in these houses when there is a lot of stuff, um, it's easier to um, stomach <laughs> if you deal with, um, you know, uh, like a closing credit, like a, a, a closing cost, like paid by the seller, you know, some sort of uh, repair uh, allowance, you know, because, the, you know, if, if you have a bunch of stuff going on in a house, then it's more likely to... Um, get a seller to accept that. You know what I mean? Because it was, because you can do what's most important to you as a buyer. Mm-hmm. But, um, that's the first, I don't know why I was thinking about that, but I was, I do that a lot sometimes with the, oh, yeah, with, yeah, for sure. With the older houses. Well, and also there is an aspect of an older house that is part of its charm. That is going to be something that in a newer house would be a repair. For instance, windows are not going to open. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Most of them are like the rope channeled windows that are on a tension pulley. Those ropes are long deteriorated. There has been 15, 16 layers of paint on these windows. But you don't want to replace all of them because they're the wavy old lead windows, which are part of the charm. I mean, when sunshine comes through that window and it's got this wavy soft light, that's so romantic. I don't want to change that and put in, you know, double pane windows that are going to have to be replaced in five years. I've got a thing about double pane windows. We can go into that on another show, but. Uh. Things Lauren hates. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's got a lot of. <laughs> I do. I do. But have a lot you know, of the thing is, is that you bring up a point is that these older houses are not very energy efficient. And so that's with the windows and stuff like that. I mean, I know that we have been, I mean, at my house been talking about. <laughs> okay. My utility bill is probably less than yours. Yeah, mine is up outrageous. <laughs> but we've been talking about um, solar panels, putting solar panels on my house. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, and just investing in it and say, oh, and I'm not giving MLC and W any more of my money. Yeah, and you can never do that in a historical district because mm-hmm. um, solar panels are not, what's the word? Visually pleasing, like, yeah. they're not uh, of yeah. the period. Yeah. yeah, of the period, thank you, yes. Well, that's too bad. Right. The other thing, insurance companies get weird about them too. Um, it's a bigger deal out west and whatnot, just because you're literally drilling holes in the roof to attach oh, something yeah. like mm-hmm. this. There, there's going to be issues with that to where water can get in and just some things to go with it. Not a deal breaker, but they all ask. And I didn't hear that. L- yeah, well, luckily, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not really an issue in Memphis because like there's just so few solar panels mm-hmm. out there to where yeah, not really that big a deal for us. But other yeah. parts of the country, it's a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, I know this is just a totally selfish question. Again, going back to insurance here, uh, Catherine will ask you here. Um, most standard insurance companies, they don't want to insure a home that's on the historic registry at all. Just There's unique ways it has to be put back together. If they ever have a claim, it's just more expensive. Is there, um, I guess, being on a historic registry, is that something that people are drawn to? Or is it something like, oh, I guess it's here. It's not like someone's applying to try to get their home on these sorts of things, right? No, but there are certain neighborhoods that are applying for a historical overlay in their neighborhoods like Cooper Young and stuff. And I, I think they've been approved. I don't know if it has yet or not. But um, but there is a lot that comes with that. I mean, I've lived, Lauren lives in a historical neighborhood. I've lived in a historical neighborhood. And um, there are certain things that people don't realize, like you mentioned. Well, mainly what I think of is what has to be done if it's anything you're changing from the street, like that you can be seen from the street, you have to get it approved by Landmarks Commission. Um, the other thing, but as far as insurance is concerned, um, every people bring up novelty wiring all the time, you know, like in some insurance companies, they always ask about it. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's been fine for a hundred years. I mean, now you got an issue with it. <laughs> Sounds like you're due. It's due to burn down. It's been, it's been <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I had novelty wiring in my old house. Shut your mouth. <laughs> the thing that I, I see, the vast majority of them have been updated at this point, right? There's 10% of the house that may have a little bit left in the basement that runs from it's just well, it's behind the wall. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. The basement's got Romac and you know, 
but it's behind the wall. So it's, unless you're ripping off all the plaster. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the houses that have been updated were taken down to the studs and Mm -hmm. they're like, well, we're going to replace all this wiring. We'll wear it. It's expensive to replace all of it. Now, a lot of times I do see a little bit of a knob and tubes. It's just, it's powering a few lights here and there. It's not any heavy electronics that are on those outlets anyway. So, um, but you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's, a buzzword that concerns people more than it should. So I've got a question for you. I got um, an and yeah. I'm sure that this is going to start to become a problem, but also there's a lot of lead pipe, mm-hmm. but also a bunch of these houses still have got the original um, cast iron mm-hmm. sewer, which I know that, you know, going to the street, having to do that. I know there's an MLG and W insurance that you can get where oh, they'll right actually on. like cover um, if you, if it, but you got to do it through MLG and W, or it's like a company tied in with MLG and W. But um, if you have an issue with your sewer line, that they will come out and replace it, and also do uh, a certain amount towards landscaping. Mm-hmm. Um, but do from the house to the street. But then I'll see where they've done from the house to the street, or a plumber has, and then they've left some of the cast iron old like connectors, mm-hmm. and I'm like. Are you serious that there's five feet in this house that's still the old and you couldn't like replace that? I've had three houses in the last like four years that I think have had, had we've gone back in and replaced like small amounts of footage. Yeah. So it's, dumb. it's not an uncommon thing because a lot of times they're on the hook to replace whatever part is broken. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Not to replace if you've got a, you know, 60 foot front yard that this is running across, like they're on the hook for the, five feet that have the issue, right? So, so that, those are the frustrating things that we run into. Um, and, and a lot of times what happens is, hey, we're, we're already in here. We've already got the people out. Let's go ahead and run the rest mm-hmm. of the pipe out there. But a lot of times those insurance products that exist like that, they're not covering everything. They're just causing covering the part that's broken. Um, so with that, but isn't with the fittings, if you're doing PVC with the older, after a while, isn't that going to cause another function problem? And is the insurance company, how does that get handled? Yeah, so you, you got all kinds of different things that are going through with that, right? So it's got to be what caused it uh, is what insurance companies are generally going to look mm-hmm. at. What is the cause of loss? Um, I, I can't speak to, well, this piece of pipe doesn't match to that piece of pipe. Like it's all all different parts there that I don't know how it all works. Yeah. But um, practically speaking, if you've got more issues, then yeah, the insurance company is going to have to try to fix that in some way, we hope. Ideally, we can just replace all of the... <laughs> stupid four pieces that also have to go with it as yeah. well, because that's frustrating. Well, you mentioned, I mean, Lauren was talking about the city of Memphis coverage or whatever, but I mean, I have a writer on my insurance for my sewer. And yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, for any house really that's built prior to a certain uh, we time. On everyone, everyone we sell. Uh, you do. It's, okay. It's, it's they call it buried utility line coverage or service lines coverage depending mm-hmm. on the company. Mm-hmm. It's usually cheaper than what you're going to get to MLGW. They charge mm-hmm. you, you know, 15 bucks a month or something. You go, oh, it's nothing. Right? It's not that big a deal. To put it on a homeowner's policy, it's like 66 bucks a year, mm-hmm. something like that. So it's oh, like, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cheap. Um, so we put it on everything and just don't even give you the option to say no at our firm just because I don't have to deal with the call. Mm-hmm. Whenever you go, hey, man, there's something in my front yard. I don't know. It's like, okay, you know, I know you're covered because everything I've ever sold has that on there. Yeah. So, All right, people, don't call MLGW. <laughs> call Dane. <laughs> call Dane Williams. She uh, made the financial. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's your plug. There we go. As she mumbled it. There we go. <laughs> but they could hear it because I was talking into the microphone. There you go. How uh, this, this for both of you guys here? Uh, how, how challenging is it for you as the buyer's agent to help a client um, that may want some very specific style of home? Right. You've got somebody that's just they've fallen in love with this Victorian style or mid-century modern or whatever it may be, and you guys are in the space where it's like, all right, I know there's a handful of pockets around town that are going to have this, but Practically speaking, that's it. And if one of those isn't on the market, what do we do? So, uh, Lauren, we'll start with you. I mean, how, how do you um, how do you help a, a buyer through that that's got just very specific tastes that they want in a style of home? Well, first of all, you just pretty much let them know where those houses are and that it is in small inventory and this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. Um, secondly, there's a lot of, like, for, for instance, mid-century moderns, um, there are, and if someone says, I want to be in East Memphis, this is what I want. It's like, okay, what kind do you want? Mm Because obviously different modern houses break down in different ways. But if you honestly want this, 
I'm going to call some of the agents that I know have sold a few around and we can maybe wait on it. Mm. Or it, cause like California modern mm-hmm. is going to feel like I sold one over off a of park that was amazing, but it felt like you were in California, like lap pole right outside. It went around and that house, those poor people, I think they've been called like eight times because mm. if someone tells me, you know, we just want a modern house that feels like Palm Springs. I'm like, Oh, well that house. Yeah. Is that the one that Ellie had? Listed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so it's, you know, I think it's honestly one of those things of set expectations with your buyers and let them know that this may take a little while, but if that's really what you want, let me call around. Let me see what's going on. Let me reach out my tentacles to all of our different agents that we work with a lot and see who's got a bead on what's coming up. And with a Victorian, I mean, there's not there's not a ton of really old Victorians because they were hard to take care of. The turrets alone, those roofs got mm-hmm. ruined. A lot of them got pulled off, um, totally changed the look. A lot of Victorian houses were over and over to park. And when they were doing the freeway, a lot of those got torn down in the eighties. And so Jerks. I know, I know. So, you know, and when they rebuilt that area back up with the newer homes, that was not really the style that they went with. They mm-hmm. went with a more four square mm-hmm. craftsman look. So you just got to let them know, look, we can find it, but you got to be patient. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about it too, is that I have even buyers that aren't specifically looking at a, a type, like a style of house. A lot of times they have a very narrow, um, you know, base of what they want. And I tend to think like, let's, you know, cast a wider net and then see, you know, what falls in. And a lot of times what ends up happening, people always change their mind of what they want. They say they start a search thinking that they want A, B, and C. And by the time we're done with it, we're not even remotely A, B, or C. We're like D, E, F over here. I know. Well, and you just made me laugh and think about, you know, how they're always like, oh, the old real estate adage, location, location, location. Oh, they don't want to well, be anywhere also, they thought they wanted to be. Also, something that I always remembered here and when I was a newer agent is, don't repeat this, y'all. Realtors listening to this, but buyers, buyers are liars. liars. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That's uh, that's you guys have seen it enough times at this point where whatever it is that they may be set on, it's just yeah. you don't know what kind of style. Or there may be something's like well, that, that feature that you love about that style of home is actually in six other different styles of home too. Yeah, and now now I've got you in Arlington, and you thought you were going to be downtown, and like this is nowhere. Well, I think now. people need to be flexible, and then I also. Um, think a, a good realtor is going to help uh, help a buyer navigate what they want, you know, and, and your buyer may have a limited vocabulary too, and what they think they want. You well, they've watched are, HGTV or something. Yeah, so. you're, you're students of this. You live in this world all the time. So when you're describing a style of home, it's because you, you can do a pretty good job. And you're talking about what's well, a California modern versus what it's a, a different deal that someone else is like, I don't know. It had uh, no crown molding. And I just figured that they're all kind of like that. It's like, well, okay, we missed the mark a little bit here. Let me help. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine, I had uh, Margaret uh, Mickelson on the show a few weeks earlier, and she mentioned one of the reasons she became an agent was because she saw so many great mid-century moderns being marketed as teardowns. Um, it was something where uh, they just it broke her heart. It's like, oh my God, these houses are, are gorgeous. And I guess, are there um, strategies that have to be used when you guys are marketing some of these older homes that, that is is unique to you know, just any other home that you may be selling to, to see it, whether it is a teardown or it's not, but still there's got to be a different way that you're selling it. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, there's been a lot of teardowns throughout and, the, and then these monster houses are built on the, mm-hmm. and it's usually a lot of times I think in East Memphis and stuff where you have these huge lots and you can get away with stuff like that. But um, I think it's nauseating that people tear down these houses like that because, and when I walk into a mid-century that someone has renovated and it's like, or an older house and it's been renovated and they just nailed it, I get really excited, you know, cause I'm like, oh my God, this looks so great. But then at the same time, you can walk into an older house that someone has just added on and added on and just, and the whole thing, the flow's crazy. And like, it's just, um, and then it's like, wow, they really, they really messed up this one, you know? And so I think it's important to um, have the correct contractors dealing with whatever you're doing. But, you know, well, it seems like you've all been in a house somewhere alone. It's like, I mean, sure, I guess you can get to the bathroom through this other two bedrooms. <laughs> right. but, like, what, <laughs> yeah. but why? Right? Yeah. Like, right. It's, it's just someone yeah. building and adding on. I guess we do want another bathroom. Yeah. So let's throw it on the end. Yeah. There was one um, 
Uh, speaking of Margaret, we spoke a lot um, over the last couple of months because I had an Ife Jones house listed, and um, who was a disciple of Frank Lloyd Wright, and just it was an amazing, beautiful home. But um, in Germantown, they tore down an Ife Jones house. Um, God, it's been a couple of years, and they're building homes out there. And the house had been un- uninhabitable for a while. Um, but I was lucky enough during an open house to meet a couple who was building a house um, in Arkansas, which is originally where e. Bay Jones is from. And his business partner back in the day's son has now taken over their business. And he was able to go into the house in Germantown and get a lot of the old fixtures, um, it, like to the point where Ife Jones would build these amazing light fixtures that would like match the fretwork on cabinets. And he would go in with certain styles and copy those shapes that certain millwork, the way that it was always just this like continuation of the style throughout the house. And so they were able to get a lot of the light fixtures, light boxes, shelving cabinets. And the son of the business partner is remaking this house for them kind of in Arkansas, which, I mean, it's very disappointing to know that that house was demolished in the first place. But I I love to hear that those pieces are getting a second chance at life. No, they're in Arkansas still, unfortunately. So no, it's not a second chance. Uh Uh Uh-oh. Well, you know, her, uh, Ife, that's a Ife Jones house. I mean, those houses, they're, they're, they're a piece of art, you know, and so you are buying that. And so that's the thing about it is that it's trying to sell a house like that. It's like, there's not, you're looking for a needle in a haystack on someone who wants to buy one of those and live in one of those houses. And so, um, so it's not for everybody, <laughs> yeah. you know, but the thing about you asked about uh, these houses that are being uh, mid-century that are being marketed as teardowns. Well, there's certain things about older house, the smaller older houses that are typically ranch-style mid-century houses that um, that people don't want anymore. Like it's the small bathrooms from the 50s. I mean, my bathrooms are really small. And so uh, there are ways around that. But I think a lot of times, too, people don't realize that um, those are affordable houses within those huge houses. Like you have a million dollar houses all around you, but there's a couple of three, four hundred thousand dollar ranch style older houses that are being, you know, you know, marketed smaller as, house yeah. on the biggest street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost better than being the biggest house on the street. That's what I've always been told. <laughs> That's me too. Because we're wrapping up here. I'm just curious. We've got to summarize this conversation. We've got all kinds of agents that are listening that are, are dipping their toes into the world of older homes for the first time, just trying to understand the market and, and we're trying to help them not look stupid for their clients, right? That's just frankly speaking what we're trying to, and hopefully, you know, serve everyone well also. So, uh, Lauren, we'll start with you. How would you kind of summarize the things to say, like, look, th- this is what you need to know. This is how you need to learn it. This is the way that you can be a good agent. Absolutely. There are plenty of resources out there. There's um, the American Field House book. Uh, I think that's what it's called, but it's like this huge journal and it actually explains different types of homes Mm -hmm. and um, different architectural designs that I I find very helpful. Um, There there are so many resources. Also, uh, I know that there used to be a class at Mar. I don't know if they've had it in a while. I think Judith did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've taken that one. And that was a really good one, but also surround... Bauhaus Wow House. Yeah, that's right. There was that one, but then there was also one about just, you know, the 120-year-old homes, the old homes, and also Lost Memphis is a great... um, There's Ask Vance. We'll talk about different stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not just the house itself. It's also the history of the house that are very important. Um, Central Gardens is actually having their home tour on September 11th. Um, it's usually from like one to five. That is a great way to learn a lot about the houses. The docents are very uh, well-versed in the different styles of the homes. Mm-hmm. But the more you can find out about the areas, the history, the architectural aspects of it, the better. And um, I know this sounds silly. Y'all, HGTV DIY, all that stuff. Don't watch those shows, but there is one and it's called Rehab Addict. And the person who does it, her name is Nicole something or other. And she is a realtor as well, but she has always loved old houses. And the way that she attacks 
rehabbing all of these old homes is amazing. And I feel like that's the only one I've ever learned anything from. Okay. And it that's that was a great resource for me too, even just buying our house. So tons of good information. Catherine? Um I I just would say ask um your fellow realtors that are familiar with this. I mean, in uh in your brokers brokerages and offices and stuff, surely there's someone that probably and outside of your brokers, you don't have I mean, all my front I have three agents in my brokerage. So they're not the only people I talk to <laughs> and they're all family too. So, you know, you just call You're looking outside that circle all the <laughs> yeah, time, aren't you? Exactly. Um, but it's important to, um, you know, if you have some agent that you've co-opted with that, you know, that you've built a good rapport with and you'd feel comfortable calling and asking oh, yeah. them, um, Hey, what should I do about this or whatever? I highly recommend that. I do that all the time. Um, and even if you don't like get some recommendations from people, I mean, any, most agents that care about this, and this profession um, are willing to help because it it help, it's important for all of us to be more professional. And the way we do that is by helping each other uh, learn Absolutely. a little bit better about uh, what we're doing here. I mean, um, unless I'm going up against a uh, the same listing with you, then I mean, we're not really competing as far as I'm concerned. Well, Damn, snap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if then the gloves are coming off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> the other thing that I think is unique too with, with uh, kind of uh, some of the pieces that have been missing from our market the last couple of years, like we're starting to see more broker opens and whatnot. And when you get these opportunities in these neighborhoods that you just you don't know enough about. Oh yeah, go to it. You got to go. Mm -hmm. yeah. Check it out. Just if you've got the opportunity, if you're a new agent, like, and it's free you, snacks. You got time. <laughs> and there's snacks. And so. a lot of times a gift card. There you go. There's there a go. drawing. All kinds of opportunities to learn and, and just leaning on others. So I, I am appreciative of you guys coming and hanging out and telling some stories and, uh, and sharing some of your knowledge with us. I, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks fun. for having us. Yeah. Uh, guys, that does it for this episode of Key Exchanges in the 901. Uh, if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to our show on uh, whatever your podcast app of choice is, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora. We're on pretty much all of them. So uh, check it out. If you love the show, then leave us a review there because that helps us out a ton. As always, we'll have all of our guests, all of our sponsors, contact information in the show notes in case you'd like to reach them. And if you need to get in touch with me about the show or something home insurance related for you or your clients, you can always email me at dwilliams at shoemakerins.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to catch up with you on the next episode of Key Exchanges in 901. <laughs>